All right. Well, good afternoon to everyone, at least on the East Coast afternoon on this snowy day. Uh, we've had a our bit since MLK Day on the East Coast. We've been dealing with the, the snow, and obviously I'm from New Orleans, and that's not a great thing, but we're dealing with it. Um, but we are excited for this today's conversation in collaboration with the Alliance for Cancer Care Equity, what the new cancer patient billing options mean for equity and community health partnerships. That was actually done by, led, uh, led in planning by our very own Keiko Purnell. So that's why we've got the Winston, we're representing Winston-Salem State. We have some other Winston folks huh, that are be leading this webinar today as well. And before I uh, turn it over to them, I just want to have make two quick announcements about NMQF. Um, one, if you get a chance, go to nmqf.org. We have literally updated our website. So if you want to work with NMQF more, there are millions of ways that you can uh, join and learn more about us and the, the us and the team and what we're doing. And then two, if you know a um, any young healthcare leader, minority healthcare leader, please encourage them to apply for our 40 under 40 uh, program. The applications are due mid-February. So uh, we would love to honor and showcase them and their work. Um, but without further ado, I want to turn it over to Shanta Chambers, who has, um, works at Executive Vice President of Health Equity and Community Engagement at the Patient Advocacy Found Advocate, excuse me, Shanta Foundation. Uh, she has nearly 20 years experience in the nonprofit space, especially working on in the public health. So without further ado, I'll turn it over to you to lead this conversation. Well, thank you so much, Brandon. Welcome attendees, and thank you for joining us this Friday for our webinar hosted by the National Minority Quality Forum in collaboration with the Alliance for Cancer Care Equity. The Alliance for Cancer Care Equity is a partnership between the American Cancer Society uh, Cancer Action Network and the National Comprehensive Cancer Network, and of course, the National Minority Quality Forum. As Brandon mentioned, my name is Shanta Chambers, and I'm Executive Vice President for Health Equity and Community Engagement for Patient Advocate Foundation. And today, I have the awesome task as serving as your moderator. Our webinar title, What's the new, What the New Cancer Patient Billing Options Mean for Equity and Community Health Partnership. However, before I begin, I would love to turn it over to the amazing Alyssa to provide us an overview of the actual partnership. Alyssa. Thank you so much, Shanta. Um, and thank you to everyone for tuning in today. Uh, my name is Alyssa Schatz. I'm the Senior Director of Policy and Advocacy at the National Comprehensive Cancer Network. And I'm also a member of the Alliance for Cancer Care Equity, which you heard about just now from Shanta. Um, so I'm excited to, to share just for a couple minutes before we begin a little bit about um, the ACCE, the work that we do, um, and um, you know how it ties into today's webinar. Um, so as you heard from Shanta, the 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 point of the Alliance for Cancer Care Equity, which is convened by the uh, American Cancer Society Cancer Action Network, the National Minority Quality Forum, and the National Comprehensive Cancer Network, is really to be a unifying space for people who are committed to advancing more equitable systems of care to improve cancer care access and cancer care outcomes for, for all. Um, and so uh, we do this by creating a space for patient advocacy organizations, equity-focused organizations, community-based organizations, um, trade associations and professional societies. We know so many different organizations are doing incredible work in this area, and we're striving to be a space where we can be more collaborative. Our three areas of focus are derived uh, originally from the work of the Elevating Cancer Equity Working Group, which was convened by our three organizations, led, co-chaired by Shanta Chambers and also uh, Dr. Robert Wynn of the VCU Massey Cancer Center. Um, and that group put forth really compelling recommendations for actionable change in the policy sector. Um, and we have taken that now in the Alliance for Cancer Care Equity to focus on these three, three areas. And they are improving diversity in clinical trials, improving access to screening and early detection of cancer, and improving access to patient navigation services. And I think it's important to note for today's webinar that that last one also ties into the first two. They're very much related. So we're really looking forward to the conversation today and learning from our moderator and panelists. Um, and I also want to just quickly, before I conclude, 
thank all of our wonderful sponsors who support the Alliance for Cancer Care Equity. The work would not be possible without these sponsors, and we are incredibly grateful for their support today. Um, so without further ado, I'll hand it back over to Shanta, and thank you all. Thanks so much, Alyssa. Before we get started, I have one housekeeping note. In the last 10 minutes of our webinar, we will open up the discussion to Q&A from your attendees. Please enter your question using the Q&A box so that we can address them. We promise we'll do our best to get to as many questions as possible during our time together. As you participate in today's webinar, I encourage you to listen with intentionality. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, Think about the actions you're going to take as a result of what you hear today. As we engage in our conversation, I ask you to just don't allow this to just be another webinar. Allow this webinar to stimulate creativity. What are the opportunities for my organization? And to leverage these new billing options to improve the clinical experiences for the populations that you serve. Ask yourself, how can these new codes provide a platform to form community clinical alliances with community-based organizations? Or if you are a community-based organization joining us today, ask yourself, how can I engage more intently with the local health system or local provider network? We have a few experts in our cancer, in the cancer patient navigation space joining us today. And needless to say, I am so happy to be sharing this virtual stage with our three panelists. We have Darcy Green, we have Dr. Bonnie Morris, and we have Dr. Elizabeth Franklin. So without further ado, I am going to turn it over for them to introduce themselves to you. Dr. Morris, let's get started. Absolutely. First, thank you so much for the opportunity to join this fantastic group of panelists and discussing this really important and exciting topic. So I'm Bonnie Morris. I'm Senior Director of Patient Navigation at the American Cancer Society. And I've had the privilege of being an oncology nurse navigator, of leading a team of navigators, of building and sustaining a navigation program for over 12 years, and now leading national efforts in expanding access to high quality navigation support through two programs, ACS, Community Access to Resources Education and Support, or ACS CARES, and then ACS Leadership and Oncology Navigation, or ACS Lion. And then as of June of last year, I have been walking alongside my dad as his personal navigator after being diagnosed with metastatic prostate cancer. And I don't care how many years you've been in the field, when it hits home, it hits hard. And I've been so thankful for my navigation colleagues who have been supported us and how just seeing how amazing this profession truly is. Looking forward to the conversation. Darcy. It's morning where I'm at, so good morning to everybody. Darcy Green, Executive Director at Latinas Contra Cancer. Um, at Latinas Contra Cancer, we are health educators, we are patient advocates, we are patient navigators, and we provide support services in the area of one-on-one uh, -on -one counseling and other support groups. We also do research, um, and in the last two years, we took on the new effort of organizing patients to build the power of patients and to make demands of healthcare systems for health equity and health justice. Uh, my background is in public policy, in patient advocacy, and now in the nonprofit service sector. Very honored and excited to be here today for this conversation. And Elizabeth, Dr. Franklin. Yes, thank you, Shanta. Hi, everyone. Elizabeth Franklin. Um, I'm head of U.S. Public Affairs and Patient Advocacy at Sanofi, but I am also an oncology social worker by background and have a, a history in nonprofit patient advocacy, including at the cancer support community. So really excited. Um, I spent some time at GW where I supervised a team of navigators similarly, similar to Bonnie. Um, this is a topic very near and dear to my heart. I would argue there's not much that I care about more than navigation because um, being in oncology, we all know, as Bonnie said when helping her her father that you can be as prepared as you think you are, but it doesn't matter. When my mother was diagnosed with a brain tumor, um, we weren't prepared, right? Even, even I living and breathing um, cancer and navigation on a daily basis, you just aren't prepared. And so you need somebody there by your side. And so um, I'm just incredibly fortunate and, and humbled to work in this space. And I do a lot of work with the National Navigation Roundtable, um, with the oncology social workers. Shout out Shanta to, to our people, the, the 
social workers and um, AONN as well. So so um, I'm just fortunate to be able to work with all of these incredible people and to hear from our, our expert speakers today. So I'm excited to, to connect and, and learn from, from everyone on the panel. So wonderful. So as we begin to think about our conversation today, I, I think Alyssa touched on it earlier in her comments that, you know, it's really the work of a lot of people for a very long time that really brought us to the point that we now have these CMS codes. And, and so I think it is so important for us to not um, ignore a lot of the sweat equity that has really gone into bringing us to this point. I'm sure Harold Freeman, you know, the godfather of patient navigation is probably dancing happily, right? But but we have to also acknowledge that this is only the tip of the iceberg. We have so much more work to, to do and so much further to go in this space. But what, you know, when we talk about this conversation today, you know, what is navigation? How does one access it? How does one even navigate through the new billing code? And what we really wanna to touch on today is why is this so critically important? And how do we really begin to integrate patient navigation into both the physician and the patient experience? So we have this opportunity before us to be very comprehensive in terms of really improving the healthcare experience for all patients across the continuum. As we know, um, healthcare delivery is, is not delivered in a one-size-fit-all approach. And so we have some unique opportunities here to really be intentional and deliberate about sustainable approaches to patient navigation. It doesn't matter if it's the individual who's fully insured and has the best benefits in the world or that person who is uninsured because there is not a person on the planet that engages with healthcare that could not benefit from the benefits of patient navigation. So we have to make sure that we're very intentional about the integration of patient navigation. If we're really serious about, about really reducing inequities in healthcare. Um, and I think it's so critically important that as we have these new codes, that it is important to note that they have been noted as principal illness navigation services. And so it's critically important that if someone's going out to search, um, be careful about solely searching for patient navigation. Just make yourself a note if you're going out to research, you're trying to find these codes to also look for principal illness navigation services. So, so I just wanted to lay that groundwork and make sure that we're all starting from the same point here. And to really help me do that even further, I'm going to call forth Dr. Morris for you to really talk about, you know, what does patient navigation mean for cancer care and how does it impact cancer care equity? Sure. Thanks so much for the question. So, I mean, after 30 plus years, right, there have been many studies on this subject with very compelling statistics. And the evidence is clear that patient navigation improves cancer outcomes and improves quality of life. Um, but perhaps more compelling are the stories that I could share after being an oncology nurse or nurse navigator. And, you know, I was previously inpatient oncology nursing, and I will never forget the first time that. I cared for someone with an, an end of life. And this was a young black woman from a rural area um, who was very recently diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer. And I spent a lot of time talking with her family, with them talking about how she had known something was wrong, but was scared to see the doctor, how as an hourly employee, she hadn't wanted to take time off work to then, and then later missed uh, many treatment appointments uh, because she didn't have consistent access to a car. And I remember being so upset and frankly mad <laughs> thinking about how different her story could have been. Um, and then I also, and this was before we had navigators at our health system. And then, um, but I also remember the person who was driving three and a half hours um, from rural Appalachia to have surgery to remove their cancer, but then their car broke down. And we had funding to fix their car, but it wouldn't be ready in time for their surgery date. And so our navigation team spent the rest of the week through the weekend searching for options. Um, there was no bus line that we could use, no Ubers, taxis that would go out there, uh, no social support system that um, we could lean on. Um, and the person told us they were just gonna give up, that they were just not gonna do the surgery. And obviously, 
that would have drastically changed their clinical outcomes and side effects experience and all of that. But it was their feeling of hopelessness that then really motivated us to find a solution. And we ended up finding a faith-based organization that could drive them to a nearby city to then um, where we could pay for a rental car for them to get in to have the surgery. And, you know, I just want to emphasize that that wasn't a simple barrier to care. Like this was a person's life who was changed by the fact that they had people who were trained and who were dedicated to finding ways to access care that this person needed. And so I just want to continue to point back to how navigation impacts real people in addition to the numbers and how important it is for, you know, stressing that this is one of the few interventions that's been demonstrated to then improve health equity. So Darcy, I want to I want to bring you into this conversation because one of the things, you know, the second part of this question is really about talking about cancer care equity. And we think about the population that your organization serves, which is um Latina population, Latina, Latinic, Latinx, a non-English, non-US citizen, all of those individuals, all of those in individuals. And I raised that in that way because in our prep, you talked about is not just about race. It's also about documentation status. It's all of these other things. So could you really, could you speak to this question as well? Yeah, thank you. Um, yes, I mean, we know patient navigation improves health outcomes. And for us at LCC, this is justice work, right? We do navigation because we are an organization deeply committed to health justice. And it's important to look at navigation and, and the patients who we are serving at all the intersections of social determinants, right? In the context of widening um, income inequality, widening social injustice, widening housing injustice, all of the things that our patients have to, clients um, have to deal with on a daily basis. Um, the struggle to stay housed that was already happening prior to a diagnosis, right? The struggle to uh, make ends meet, the struggle to pay for basic necessities, all of these things already happening, right? For the Latina community that we serve um, in, in Silicon Valley. Um, and then on top of that, a diagnosis, um, the folks who we serve many times, that may be the first time that they're interacting with the healthcare system in a very long time. They may not have had primary care physicians, cannot easily access medical records electronically. It, it's a very, we all know healthcare, whether you're, you know, your education level, your income is confusing, right? It's confusing, it's complicated, even for folks who have a lot of experience navigating systems. I also have, I'm navigating um, my own father with his chronic condition and it's complicated. Now imagine how complicated that is when you're making impossible decisions every single day um, about just basic quality of life things. And then on top of that, you're navigating a system that in many, many ways where it counts is entirely inadequate in serving um, Spanish speakers and serving low-income folks and serving serving folks who have transportation needs um, and definitely in serving folks who um, are battling all of these other social determinants. So for those reasons, we see navigation as, it, it, I don't wanna call it that equalizer because it is um, still a big challenge and we feel like the folks who are who are going this shouldn't have to right go through all of those obstacles to begin with. So we, you know, starting with the standpoint of like these obstacles and disparities shouldn't exist to begin with, but navigation makes it possible for people to access the care that they deserve. And more than that, navigation, um, particularly grassroots community-based navigation, where you have navigators who live in the communities um, that they serve, who are who share life experiences with the people that they're serving, you're helping people to overcome these barriers that the healthcare system has put in place, um, and also to do that with dignity, okay, and care and love. Um, and, and that's an important piece, right, of, of how you experience the healthcare that you're getting. Are you also experiencing it in a way that um, holds your humanity and your dignity? So for us, as I started at the beginning, this work is, is justice work. Thanks so much for that, Darcy. And one of the things you talked about before was trust. So in the context of patient navigation, um, could you really speak to the importance around community trust? Yeah, um, for some very good reasons. Um, there are populations of patients who um, have had no experiences, bad experiences, experiences where they haven't been listened to. We, we have clients who come um, and are experiencing late detection despite 
right? Raising the alarm with their healthcare provider over and over and over, being told, no, you're just overweight or no, you know, you're too young to get that mammogram, even though you have a history of, of you know, cancer in your, in your family. Um, so there's, there's a trust issue. And if you don't trust your care provider with your life, then you're less likely to adhere to your treatment plan, to believe what you are um, hearing, to attend your, your appointments. Um, Community-based navigators can help to rebuild that trust. I right? can help to can hold a handout and to a, a client and, and help them walk through the healthcare system um, in a way that, um, where they can know that the navigator you know, has their back, right? Is, is on their side, is going to help them advocate what they want for themselves and their loved ones um, and to get the care that they need from, from the provider. Also, I, I should, I'd like to say that the healthcare system is like its own language, right? So even, even when you don't, you know, the English aside um, or, or other languages aside, healthcare is, is its own language. And so navigators, in addition to navigating in languages sometimes other than English, they're also helping to translate the language of healthcare, which is which also contributes to breakdowns in trust sometimes, that communication barrier around just the language of healthcare. So navigators play that really important role in either establishing trust to begin with or reestablishing trust when it has been broken. And that is a huge component in making sure that people get the quality outcomes that they deserve. Absolutely. And so when we think about it, you know, patient navigators, community health workers all have been really sounding the alarm for, for many years in terms of the value add that they bring to the, the experience, the healthcare experience for patients. And that definitely, you know, I think is fundamental to why we find ourselves where we are now with this new opportunity. You know, historically, these types of services were only paid for through, through grant funding, but CMS, of course, has newly introduced these billing codes for community health integration and principal illness navigation services now. Um, so, so, Dr. Franklin, I really want to bring you into the conversation at this point. What will this mean for accessibility uh, of service? You know, how are providers and community-based organizations reacting to these new billing codes, these new opportunities? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Shanta. And, and what a beautiful statement by Darcy. I think she said it so eloquently um, that really set up the need for why navigation is so is so critical. Um, as you said, Shanta, historically, this has really been a grant funded venture, right? It's been if if um, if funds allow, we'll have a navigator. And and you you used a term, Shanta, that I want to um, really focus on because I think it's it's really how the system has viewed navigation through the years, which is value add. And I actually think that now that these codes exist, it shows that navigators are not value add, they're actually essential, right? They are vital. It's not, and I think I've always thought about this from a social work perspective. We often think like, you know, we're a nice addition. It's good to have if if you've got um, support, but frankly, as, as folks have heard from everything we've said today, you can't get through the cancer care system and get, have the best outcomes possible without a navigator. I will stand on that. That's the hill that I will die on. It is an, a, virtually impossible to navigate the system on your own, even if you're somebody who works in cancer all the time. And so really what these codes that CMS came out with and the, the 2024 physician fee schedule. So um, these codes went into effect on January 1st, so they are live, um, which is, is super exciting, but they really fell into three buckets. Um, we are focused on on one today, which is principal illness navigation. And as, as Shanta said, and as, as Bonnie has pointed out, that's patient navigation, right? It's, it's using a little bit of a different terminology because it's not just an oncology. And I'll talk about how it, it um, filters down to who can actually apply for and utilize um, the codes. It's across different disease states. Um, often on oncology, we refer to patient navigation, but they're using the term principal illness navigation, but don't get tripped up on that, right? It, it's, it's patient navigation. So there's the principal illness navigation codes, which I'll talk about in depth, but I also wanted to point out that CMS also promulgated codes around social determinants of health, risk assessment, and community health integration. We won't do a deep dive into those today because we could be here for the rest of the day, and I know it's a Friday afternoon, so, so we're just going to dive into principal illness navigation. But basically what that means is that folks who are providing navigation services, and we can talk about who um, qualifies to, to provide those services, but let's just, um, for purposes of the conversation, we'll say these navigators are, are working with 
patients who have a serious high risk condition with certain additional characteristics. So that means that the condition must be expected to last at least three months and place the patient at significant risk of hospitalization, nursing home placement, acute exacerbation, decompos decomposition, functional decline, or death. Um, so I know that that's a very sort of wordy, wonky way of saying it's a, it's a life-limiting illness, and cancer absolutely falls into that. And so CMS lists eight categories, which we certainly can go into, um, things like patients, person-centered assessment, uh, community-based care, coordination, health education, those things that we know navigators are doing out in the field that are very much aligned with what we call the professional oncology navigation standards, which I'm also happy to, to talk about, but, but really making sure that um, navigators who are trained, and I already saw a question in the chat about training. I know that I'll tag team with Bonnie on that, um, but navigators that are trained and certified, regardless of background, so we're talking nurse navigators, social work navigators, or patient navigators who may not have that clinical license, can get that training and certification, and then they are able to be reimbursed under the supervision of a prescribing uh, provider. So, so in you know, an example would be you're you're working underneath a physician who signs off that they've seen the patient, and now they're working with their navigator to to navigate this patient, and you know, again, it's a, it's a really big deal for navigators to get reimbursed for these services. As I like to think of our president, Joe Biden, when the ACA passed, it's a big deal because it's it's putting a stake in the ground. It is showing that navigation is vital and that it is worth reimbursing. And so we can talk through the details of the rule if you would like, answer questions. But bottom line is this really um, provides an institution of navigation within the healthcare system for the foreseeable future, which is is fantastic and due to the work of so many people on this call. Thank you so much, Dr. Franklin. And you're absolutely right. You know, it's definitely not a value add, but I would actually co-sign as you talked about, you know, in order for someone to really have the best possible clinical outcome along their cancer journey, patient navigation is critical to that. I would co-sign and say for anyone, especially even our racial, ethnic, and other marginalized populations to have the best possible outcome and clinical experience, navigation, patient navigation is critical to that. So it, it is essential, right? It's truly the lifeline to the quality care experience of every single population, every single community in the country. So so thank you so much for saying that. And, and you know, I also want to, um, I want to invite, I want to invite you, Darcy, from a community-based organization's perspective, you know, what do you see as this opportunity? Um, just, to, just to echo how incredibly exciting it is that, that this um, important milestone has happened in, in the trajectory, right, of, of health equity in our, in our fight, continued fight for health equity. Um, if, if something isn't funded, right, I mean, you know, there's that saying around, like, you know what your values are based on what your budget is, right? I think that's very true here, right? You, you know what, you, what our society values based on where it allocates funding. So the fact that this is a reimbursable service um, really goes a long way in showing that the community that it will serve and that it will support is also valued um, as patients. Um, this is this is a, a really important opportunity for community-based organizations, and it's particularly ones that have partnerships with cancer care centers and other medical providers. Um, many of us, like was said earlier on the call, uh, patient navigation is funded through grants. Right? It's funded through, um, you know, the the the, the work that the bulk of the work that we do in in ensuring health equity and health justice to patients is pieced together right, by all of these different foundations and, and, and grants. And that's not a very sustainable way to build a, a long lasting program in the nonprofit sector. Um, you really want to have a, a foundation of, of funding. And so this is this is going to be very helpful for that. I'd also like to add, though, that um, while this is an important milestone and, and um, deeply appreciative and thankful for the folks who have pushed us forward, I want to urge us to continue um, the fight because there are many organizations that may be left out of this, right? Particularly grassroots organizations, organizations that may have chosen intentionally to work in collaboration with cancer centers, but to maintain some independence because of the type of advocacy and navigation they do on behalf, on behalf of patients. For example, organizations sometimes handles cases where there are grievances, right? Where there are needs to um, do some advocacy in order to get 
justice for that person and the care that they may not be getting um, because of lots of reasons, right? Um, some of them potentially discriminatory. Um, and so there are organizations that are building trust that are deeply in community that um, may not be able to access this reimbursement. And so there, there are more, there's more to do around um, ensuring that we are making this widely available for patient advocates uh, and navigators within the system, but also those that are working in collaboration, but outside of the system. And I'd also just like to add that that piece is also gonna be important as you pipeline the workforce into the area of patient navigation. We utilize a also try to true model of a promotora model that we use in healthcare and our support services and in, in patient navigation. Um, and those are folks who live in the communities that they serve, are community-based grassroots educators and service providers um, who, who we should be pipelining into the professional field of patient navigation, particularly because there is this now reimbursable, this funding source. And so we don't want to, as the, the field will surely grow um, because of this, we don't want to recreate race-based health inequities in the um, the makeup of and the demographic of the professional field. So if we can continue to push for um, expanded reimbursement opportunities and, and models and pathways, we can also then make sure that we are diversifying the field of navigators as well. Thank you so much for that. You know, like we started the webinar, we're just at the tip of this iceberg, right? We really have to go deeper. And so I really wanna invite um, your thoughts, um, Dr. Morris and Dr. Franklin, on how healthcare systems and CBOs can best pursue these types of partnerships to improve the patient experience. And, you know, what do you think may be some of the challenges and what do you see some promising practices? Dr. Morris, I'll start with you. Sustainability for navigation, it's a huge step in making navigation more accessible, right? We no longer and my internet connection is unstable, so bear with me. Hopefully you can still hear me. <laughs> we no longer have to rely solely on those short-term grant fundings that are cobbled together to cover a navigator's salary. Um, but beyond that, we need to still ensure that diverse communities don't just have access, but have access to high-quality navigation, um, and that these are performed by trained professionals. And as Dr. Franklin was discussing, the Professional Oncology Navigation Standards of Practice were published in 2022, and those are, are intended and specifically describe the knowledge and skills that then all professional navigators should possess to deliver high-quality, competent, ethical services to people who are impacted by cancer. And those providing navigation sh services should have that very foundational training that covers these professional standards, and that's um, for, from an ACS perspective, one of the reasons why we developed the ACS Lion, a curriculum specifically mapped to the PONT standards, um, and then ensuring that any training that then is supporting the CMS uh, reimbursement is um, aligned with the CMS requirements. It's incredibly important for organizations to ensure that their training shows how it maps to those CMS requirements, how it ensures that um, as the professional is needing to document, I saw some questions about documentation that I can I, I can touch on that that those requirements are fulfilled. And so the bottom line is we just want to ensure that navigators are equipped to then provide the highest possible care because you know the patients and families we serve deserve that. And I yeah. think that actually underscores a point that um, Darcy touched on. Right, what one of the things that we don't want to do is further exacerbate disparities because we may have one individual, one patient that gets a Pinto version of navigation and then someone else gets the worst version, right? And so that is why the standardization, that is why credentialing, that is why training is so critically important because we don't want to cause any further harm. We don't want to further exacerbate disparities. So that is critically important that as we look at these partnerships, as we look at what this integration looks like is integrating with standards that are really high quality standards. And we've seen that quality be present in navigation. Dr. Franklin. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate it. And I, I just want to reiterate what Darcy said, which 100%, right? When we we saw the codes come out, the initial reaction is, oh, this is amazing, right? That that we're going to get attention to the, the field of navigation and reimbursement. 
But the, the next thought is uh, we want to make sure that everybody who does navigation and community health work can utilize this, right? And we don't want to see things exacerbated as often as the case with things. You know, I think about this all the time with new technologies and things like that. It's great. It's it's wonderful for the healthcare system, but let's make sure that people can can utilize it accordingly. You know, one of the things I wanted to, to make a, a finer point on from Bonnie's uh, remarks was, you know, the standards, right? We, we helped uh, the professional organizations came together to write the standards. And it's it's one of those things that was really challenging because navigation is a very personalized, unique profession, right? It depends on the community you're working in. It depends on the folks who you're serving. Um, and for good reason, right? If you've seen one navigation program, you've likely seen one navigation program. And that is for very good reason, because you have to acclimate and start where your patients are. And patients are, are individuals, and they're starting from very different, different perspectives. That being said, you know, I often think about the fact that we live, we are seeking personalized medicine in a population health world. And oftentimes that provides sort of an un, a, a misbalance um, in what we're trying to accomplish. And, and the reason that I bring that up is because when you're trying to um, improve policy and impact policy change, oftentimes you have to sort of level set. And so that's where the standards came into practice. And I, I'll make sure that um, in follow up, we send a link to the standards to everybody who's attending this workshop. The standards were meant to be flexible and sort of the highest um, uh, practice of navigation, but we wrote them in a way to make them, again, flexible so that any navigator could use them. And you'll see that they incorporate nurse navigation, social work navigation, and patient navigation. Um, we That document is a living document. It's going to continue to be updated, um, but it really sort of level set and defined navigation and defined um, in that population health world what navigation looks like. However, um, it's critically important to know how to utilize those in your own setting. So I just bring that up because all that to be said, the codes are a place to start, right? It's a it's a place to start and say navigation is important, but we have a lot more work to do. And as Darcy so eloquently said, um, the game is advocacy, right? Everybody on this call and everybody who works in navigation, one of their core competencies is being an effective, fantastic advocate for justice. And until everybody, as Shanta, as you've said, until every single person who lives with cancer, who's diagnosed with cancer can access as a navigator, then justice hasn't been served. And so just keep in mind that this is a place to start and we will keep pushing and keep trying to do better so that all navigators can utilize this and all patients can be served. So before I go to Q&A, one question, of course, for all of you is, so how can navigation services be transformed to ensure that they're accessible to and reflective of the diversity of the com of the communities. What you just touched on, Dr. Franklin, is hey, the standards were there to provide some context, but also leave room for adaptation to a certain degree, so that it's really responsive. So the navigation service is actually responsive to the needs of the person that is sitting right here in front of me, or the system, or the community, or the patient population that I'm working with. So how can how can navigation services be transformed to ensure that? Darcy, yeah, you want to start? I'll go oh, or sorry. either one. Go ahead. No, no, jump no, in. Please, Darcy, please go, go ahead. ahead. Yeah, sure. Um, I first I, I wanted to say um, uh, you know a, a big a big step toward that is is the way that these standards that you all created have uh, were made public and accessible to everybody. I mean that is such a crucial point in making sure that um, all people get access to high quality navigation services and also that grassroots organizations are able to participate right in in training um, our teams to make sure that we are you know in in the loop um i wonder sometimes if there is opportunity to incentivize cancer care centers and medical centers to partner more with cbos who are run by and serving um the vulnerable patient populations that would benefit i mean they're they're could be opportunity in the future to provide some incentives for those partnerships to exist. Um, some type of, you know, um, it could be, I, I, you know, I don't want to plan on what the incentives could be, but an incentive to make sure that um, there is opportunity and also maybe pot potentially funding in the future for capacity building in order to make sure that those partnerships are sustainable. Um, particularly in, in geographic areas where we know vulnerable patients are, um, that, that, um, that, Deep partnership with grassroots organizations is only going to strengthen the navigation program. And I also like to say it's really not an either or, 
right? Um, we as an organization that is existing outside of the healthcare system work hand in hand with medical social workers work hand in hand with nurse navigators we work hand in hand with with patient navigators who are internal um often what we're able to do is fill some of the gaps that exist um for a, an already under-resourced very stressed healthcare system um so we can go to someone's home we can help with the you know in between things we can navigate a case for a very very long time um, and so it really isn't, you know, external grassroots community based or internal patient navigation. It is both coming together to make sure that someone's needs are met holistically um, across the intersections of their social determinants. So incentivizing more of that partnership, making funding available so it doesn't add extra stress onto healthcare systems would be helpful. Thanks so much for that, Darcy. I think you're acknowledging the fact that actually health takes place outside of the four walls of the healthcare system, right? So you have this collaboration where you have one entity addressing the clinical elements and those within that four walls, but then you have your community-based organization that's addressing all those other dynamics that are outside of those four walls that we all know left unaddressed prevent a, a patient from really being able to adhere to care. Dr. Yeah. Franklin, and then I want you to also weigh in on this one too, um, Dr. Morris. Yeah, Darcy, did you have something else to say? I was just going to say, as an organization, we always say that health happens inside the hospital, but health also happens where you live, work, and play. Absolutely. And I think, you know, whenever I worked directly with patients, individuals or humans, when they walk through that door, they're not patients. They don't see themselves as patients, nor should they. You know, as you're talking, Darcy, it, it makes me think about the fact that, you know, the, the sad truth about cancer is that until there's a cure, we all will have more than enough work to do, whether you're a community health worker, social worker, nurse, navigator, it doesn't matter. And I think partnership is the name of the game. And you said that so beautifully that you can't go this alone anymore, right? I think that historically the healthcare system, I don't think, I know, historically the healthcare system was a very paternalistic system in which, you know, doctors decided what happened and it happened. That's no longer the case. And that's a great thing, right? We're evolving into this more, uh, hopefully patient-centered system and even patient-directed system, right? We need to identify the values, needs, and preferences of individual patients, because I know if I'm diagnosed with cancer today, what is important to me is going to be different than, than what's important to the three of you, right? There may be some overlap, but we're going to have to design our care and what, what is important to us um, because it's going to be a, a uniquely personalized experience. And so um, I just think it's critically important to, to, to realize that. And um, my next thought flew completely out of my head, but I bet if you go to Bonnie, something brilliant will, will come back to me. <laughs> Dr. Morris. I will apologize. I keep losing audio, so I missed the last part of what Dr. Franklin said, but I, I mean, I just want to echo again how important engagement with community organizations is. And I do think one of the challenges that um, we'll see come to play is around demonstrating appropriate clinical integration particularly for organizations without access to the EMR, you know, CMS is concerned that the incident two policy might not be met and, you know, how that requires the billing practitioner to then maintain active participation in and management of the course of treatment. Um, the responses in the final rule and the comments um, were very clear that the final responsibility was on the billing practitioner to then ensure appropriate documentation for the services provided and that needed to take place within the medical record. Um, and so this includes, you know, total time spent providing uh, the services, the activities performed by the auxiliary personnel, how those activities related to the treatment plan, identified SDOH concerns. Um, and so anyone providing these services, whether it's through you know, community-based organizations or navigations embedded within the health system, We'll need to make sure that that's appropriately communicated to the billing practitioner and or directly documented. And that's something that we at ACS is, you know, very much thinking about, like the tools and the practical implementation support that's needed and how we can help, you know, provide support for these scenarios. So that's just something that's very top of mind right now as we are, as it's now launched, as we're able to then start, um, start implementing on these, on these billing codes. Great. So I am turning to to Q&A because this is a very lively group and we have quite a few questions. Um, and one um, you touched on a little bit. One of the questions is around if you all could talk about training for patient navigation. I know, um, Dr. Franklin, you said you were going to include a resource 
But in the meantime, can you talk about training for patient navigation? Yeah, you know, I think historically, um, navigation has very much been a grassroots um, effort since since Dr. Freeman established the the profession in 1990, and and there's been a, incredible resources out there, right? Of um, these folks who are doing the work on the ground to to help support patients who need it most. So whether it's um, you know the GW training, whether it's uh, AONN's training and certification, or whether it's it's Bonnie and ACS's new training, um, there's there's lots of of opportunities out there to engage. And all that the, the code says is that um, the, the navigator needs to be trained and certified according to the competencies that are outlined. And so if you go into the rule, and, and again, we can highlight this for folks, you can see the competencies and, and those trainings that I mentioned, and many more, right? There are others out there absolutely um, apply to, to these. And so we need to make sure that navigators have taken the, the appropriate training. There may also be trainings that are appropriate for navigators working with specific population, population um, I, I'm a big fan of Linda Berhan Stepanoff, who works with indigenous populations, and she often brings up the fact that there's training specific to the folks that she works with, and it's critical for, for navigators to be trained there. I'm sure, Darcy, you would agree that when working with Latinx populations, there's going to be, um, uh, you know, components that are critical for, for those types of navigators to learn. So it's important to, to utilize the training that makes sense for you and to make sure that it aligns with the competencies. And those competencies are, are fairly broad. So, you know, it's, they think that the many, many different trainings apply to that. But I know, Bonnie, you launched the fabulous new Lion training, and that's going to be one critical piece of this. But again, it's important to, to be personalized and individualized to the navigator's need. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that. So this question actually is for you, Dr. Mars. Is there a I lost? Is there a fee associated with the Lion program? And are there scholarships of opportunities specifically designed to support underserved populations? Absolutely happy to field that. So there is a fee associated with taking the training and credentialing course, ACS Lion. And that's so that we can then reinvest in navigation. ACS has been committed to providing um, funding opportunities for Oh, Dr. Morris lost audio. So Dr. Morris, since you lost audio, do you mind going to the QA and typing your response in? So, uh, so please, you'll see it in the question and answer. So if you would type your response, that would be great. Can you hear me now? I oh, you're back. You're back. I'm so sorry. We're having a windstorm and I think it's affecting everything. So I'm surprised our lights haven't gone out. But yes, um, so I, I definitely want to make sure this question is addressed. There is a fee associated with the ACS line training course. It um, is, did I lose audio again? You're still, we still hear you. Oh, good. Okay. It's frozen on my screen. Okay. So, um, and this is intended to then to be reinvested in navigation. ACS has been committed to, uh, is committed to providing um, grants, funding opportunities, both at the health system and individual levels to further expanding the oncology navigation reach and being able to um, ensure that we're not adding additional barriers to high quality training into that the newest, the best, the constantly like refreshing and ensuring that our navigators are the best equipped types of training implementation support. And to do so, we then do charge a fee, but it's just so that we can then reinvest and provide support where support is most needed. And there, I think there was also a, a question about, will this be specifically reinvested in um, areas to support health equity? I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but yes, absolutely. We have designed the eligibility criteria to then be around, um, as I said, supporting where that need is greatest and so that we can, um, continue to advance health equity. And and the next question, I'm going to actually try to combine a couple of questions. They're, re, they're related to, to billing. So one, of course, is around the reimbursement um, question, and it is how are current reimbursement rates for navigation billing codes sustainable for community partner? The RVU val valuation is quite low. It's fantastic to see navigation code as a billable service, but I fear we've fallen short on reimbursement rate for community partners who will need to build staff capacity to meet this new demand. 
And then the second question I would like um, someone really speak to the co-insurance cost for patients. So two questions there. Yeah, that, that question makes me uh, remember the brilliant thought that I was going to say earlier, Shanta. <laughs> so hopefully Perfect. it comes through. Um, you know, Darcy's talked a lot about um, the populations that navigators and community health workers have historically served, which are, are underserved um, and, and largely people of color. But it also makes me think about um, the workforce of navigation, and that is largely women and people of color. And so we've sort of seen this parallel impact of when it's the community you're serving are folks who have less of a political voice, you're going to see, um, you know, less sort of impact because we know that those folks have been left behind. And I think that the same is, has historically been true for our professions too, right? Whether you're social workers, nurses, um, navigators, you know, it's largely women and people of color who have been doing this work. And so I, the reason that I'm bringing that up and linking it to it is because we continue to have to push, right? I completely agree with the question that this is, it's, it's not a super high rate, right? It's not, it's not like we're going to be getting rich off the navigation codes. I can promise you that, um, nor should anyone ever be getting rich off the healthcare system, but um, but we're you know this is this is the place to start. Um, again, I, I when the rule came out, my immediate thought was don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? Because this is a place to start, but we need to keep advocating. And as long as um, women, people of color, people who've historically been underserved and, and underrepresented recognize their power and are able to advocate not only for the patients that we serve, which I think we've historically done a fantastic job of, of uh, advocating for the patients we serve, we've done a less fantastic job advocating for ourselves and our profession, right? Because it's often head down, I will do anything I can in my power to take care of my patients. But when it comes to myself, you know, that makes me more uncomfortable. We've got to shake that off and we have to keep pushing. So I'm glad you brought it up, right? But again, I think it's it's a good place to start and we just have to keep pushing for more reimbursement for more services at higher rates. And Alyssa, can you speak to the co-insurance concern? Sure, I'd be happy to. And I also just want to add to what Dr. Franklin said that um, it's also really important. Yes, this is a first step, and I think it's really important if what is being provided is not sufficient to collect data so that that can be shared with um, CMS and with Congress and with other entities that can make that change. Um, and, and collecting data doesn't have to be super rigorous or super expensive. It can just be, you know, keeping track of your expenses and your real costs and demonstrating, um, you know, showing that to the policymakers so that they they can have some justification for making those changes. Um, in terms of the co-insurance, I think it's a really important gap. Um, I also have to, I, I think CMS has come underneath a lot of um, fire for that. And I have to say in CMS's defense that they are statutorily obligated to impose a 20% co-insurance. So they have no choice but to, but to um, require that according to the law. So in order to change that co-insurance, it will actually require an act of Congress. Um, another possible evolution that may happen is perhaps philanthropy could step in in some way to provide support for people around those co-insurance costs, which are, are burdensome for many. Um, it cannot be waived, um, my understanding is, by the provider because that can be viewed as um, uh, like an inappropriate um, way to co not coerce, but um, entice someone into a service that perhaps they don't want. So uh, it can't be just waived by the provider, uh, but it could be covered by potentially um, philanthropy or private dollars or congressional so we, action. So I would like to add, put out one more question. I'm sorry, we won't get to all of them, but we often talk about not reinventing the wheel and we are very familiar with patient navigation in the context of oncology care. But this question I wanted to raise because it's actually, it's actually looking at it from the context of neurology. So it is, we have many of the same navigation challenges in the neurology world, particularly in my field of epilepsy. Are you aware of any examples of these codes being used in a neurological condition, also life-limiting illness with significant disparities? So any examples of this being used related to neurological conditions? 
So since the codes just went to, into effect January 1st, um, we've only got 19 days of, of data and there there's some run up that needed to happen too, right? Like adjusting um, electronic health records to account for this, to collect the data, like Alyssa said. So I don't think we have any examples at all. I'm happy to be corrected of, of anybody utilizing the codes yet. They absolutely could be, but I, we just don't have the data in to show that. But I think the question is super important. Neurology, um, neurological conditions are absolutely life limiting and life impacting illnesses. And so if you're reading the CMS codes, you are reading that they apply, right? And I think there's an argument to be made. Um, I know that uh, AONN is actually working on navigation within other um, illnesses as well, sort of cross therapeutic illnesses. So it's an area for, for us to think about there. But you know, as long as patients need help navigating systems, and I would absolutely say that epilepsy is an area where patients need help at navigating systems, then this would apply. Beautiful. That is perfect. So can you believe our time is drawing near? Wow. Like you said, uh, Dr. Franklin, earlier, we could talk about this for quite a bit of time, right? And so an hour is definitely not, a, we've definitely only chipped the tip of the iceberg. And so as we prepare to close, I just want to give all of the panelists an opportunity to kind of share your final takeaway. Um, as we think about our path forward, because I like to think about the glass being half full, what do we see as our greatest opportunity before us? And that's one part of the question. And what do you also see as some existing barriers that still need to be addressed? I can start with, I, I think um, it can be a double-edged sword. I think it can be our biggest challenge, but also um, the biggest benefit and how we as a navigation community can come together to continue to advance and provide support for patients and caregivers that we know is desperately needed. Um, I think that, you know, I want to emphasize again that ACS is committed to providing ongoing implement implementation support. So we're we will continue to update our training curriculum to ensure it reflects the evolving oncology landscape, as well as any future changes with CMS, um, with the CMS role. Um, we launched a webinar series as um, with the next one scheduled for January 23rd, and then two past webinar recordings, including one that does a deep dive into PIN um, services. And um, then we're launching two learning collaboratives. So one for those interested in starting or building a navigation program, and then another learning collaborative around uh, tackling big problems related to financial toxicity. And I just, I would ask and encourage folks to please reach out to us that um, if you have questions or have um, resources that you'd specifically find valuable, we want to make sure we're staying responsive to the community's needs um, and be able to provide support in these areas as, as this rolls out. And so, you know, I'll offer ECSLion at cancer.org for any of those suggestions or questions so that we can best support you and then ultimately our patients. Uh, sure. I think I'll combine in sake of time. I'll combine. I'll combine your questions into one. You know, this whole conversation has been making me think of the the phrase yes and right. Like yes, it's a great start, and we still have a lot more to do. And so I would just encourage everybody on this call continue to raise your voice, um, continue to follow in the footsteps of Darcy and the incredible work that that she's doing in the community. The community voices are so critical. We've got lots of work to do, but I am confident with. The, the, all of the big brains that are <laughs> in the navigation space and all of the passion and commitment to justice that we can do that. So um, one plug that I wanted to make, the National Navigation Roundtable is going to create an FAQ document that is living that will continue to answer questions around the, the codes. So keep an eye out for National Navigation Roundtable's FAQ document and lots of the sort of deep dive technical wonky questions we will continue to address on an ongoing basis. But thank you, thank you. And I'll turn it over to Darcy. Yes. Um, so the opportunities, there's so much to be hopeful about. There's so many amazing opportunities. Um, there's, there's, it's more than half full. It's 75% full, I would say. And um, one is just the continued cementing and expansion of the profession and the work, right, as a, is a critical, crucial part 
of the of the continuum, right? Of the healthcare continuum. And the second is something that we're very passionate about, and, and that is organizing patients to make demands of hospital systems, right? Um, we are in the work of organizing patients, we are in the work of building power for patients. We also need patients to understand that they should have a right to this um, and to join in the work and asking for the expansion of this profession, making sure that they are, make it known to their provider that they would like to have navigation if it's not offered to them. Um, and to, for, for patients to know that this is out there and it's and, and their provider should be providing it to them and to learn more about how navigation truly does impact their health outcomes. So we're gonna be engaged in doing that work and educating patients and making sure that they know that they have a role to play and an important voice in advocating for the expansion of this profession and the continued funding for this profession. Awesome. So, so thank you to all of our amazing panelists today and all of you for spending your Friday with us. Have a restful and restorative weekend. Thank you again. Enjoy the rest of your day.